You're listening to Wake Up with Patty Catter, where we're overcoming trials with triumphs. Now, here's your host, Patty Catter. Hello, everybody. Today, I have Ryan Hendrickson on the show. He's a Special Forces Army veteran and an author. Um, he's the author of Tip of This Beer. <laughs> I was hesitant about that. I have so many ideas for a book name for you. You have to make a part two, Ryan. How's it going? Uh, it's going good. Thanks. Good. Thank you for being on the show. I would love it if you could tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and where you came from. And I want to know more about what you did in the military. And we're going to talk about your book a little bit and just get to know you. Yeah. So um, originally I'm from Oregon and um, grew up in a small town outside of Eugene, uh, Lowell, Oregon. So logging in a, in a hay farm in town. So um, eight, you know, a town of 1100 people, 18 years old. Um, my dad basically said, Hey, you gotta, you gotta leave. Can't stay here. Cause you know, if I let you stay here, then you'll be the, uh, 42 year old guy at the gas station telling, you know, high school, senior year, homecoming football stories. And you never, never really did anything. So, um, you can join the military. Um, you can go out and get a job. I, I don't recommend college cause you're, you're not really college material. But, uh, but yeah, you can't stay here. You need to, you need to go out and get a life. So the military was always, you know, my dad was in the military and sister and stuff like that. So the, so the military was always something that I was going to do, but it just kind of, you know, it, it really snuck up and, and, and got me when I was, you know, senior high school and kind of forgot like, oh, I need to figure out what I want to do with my life. Um, so I started off in the Navy. Um, I was in the Navy 90 97 to April, 2001, got out of the Navy after, you know, four years honorable. And, um, and then, yeah, I, I stayed out for till, till about 2003. I mean, even after nine 11 and all that, um, happened, I, I, I didn't really think that, uh, the, the attack on, you know, on our, on our trade center and stuff like that. I didn't, I, uh, the towers, I didn't really think it was going to, like evolve into what it did. I thought it would be a quick, um, we'll go in Afghanistan. We'll launch some tomahawks, um, kill a bunch of people and then, um, start to rebuild. So I stayed out till about 2003 and then Iraq kicked off and I was like, Oh, so this is actually something that's going to happen. Like we're here. So, you know, I, my, my comfort zone is, um, in the military. And so I, I was married at the time and and I said, Oh, I want to join the army. Well, my ex-wife was in the army. She's like, absolutely not. I don't want, you know, when I'm, when I'm done with the army, I'm done. It's like, oh, okay, cool. So then we agreed upon the air force. So I spent, <laughs> I spent five years in the air force. Wow. And, um, and then when I got divorced, I switched over to the army, which is where I went through, um, special forces training. And then, you know, graduated and went on to a seven special forces group, um, at a, well, we were out of Fort Bragg and then we moved to Florida, but so, yeah, it was a very, uh, it was a long kind of, I guess, road to get to where I'm at right now. Well, correction, I've been retired for two years, but, um, it was a long road to get to being a green beret. And, but yeah, it was, I guess everything happens for a reason. Cause it's uh, it's a hell of a story. So that, that's kind of, uh, me, you know, broad strokes right there. You forgot the Marine Corps. I mean, is that next? 
<laughs> so tell me a little bit about um, your time in Afghanistan, if you don't mind, in Iraq. Um, tell us a little bit m- more about your journeys, actually. Um, what are some of the things that you did? Tell us why you decided to write a book. So I was, um, I was in, I mean, the first time I started deploying and actually seeing the world was in the Navy. Um, we, I did two, um, two deployments or floats or whatever you want to call them to the Persian Gulf. And we'd hit all the countries in between and whatnot like that. And it was, you know, it was awesome. And I, I was getting to see the world as 18, 19, 20 year old kid. Um, exactly what my dad said to do. Um, it was, uh, the mid nineties Navy was no joke. It was hard. And, <laughs> and there wasn't with no war going on there. It was basically, uh, yeah, it was just, yeah, it was, it, it was a good life. I couldn't do it now at 40, whatever years old, but, um, as an 18, 19 year old kid, yeah, I, I learned pretty quickly what the world real world was about out of, you know, a town of 1100 people. Um, so then transition over the air force and I do, you know, some deployments there, um, spend a year in Korea, go to Iraq, um, go to a couple other different places, then transfer over to the army. And, um, that's where, you know, I really started getting into the combat deployments. Um, and so yeah, I graduate the Q course, uh, move on within, within six months from graduation. I'm in Afghanistan as a green beret. And then, um, 2000 and that was 2010, uh, 2010, September 12th, um, is when I stepped on an IED on one of our clearance operations we had, which, um, kind of, you know, it set me back a couple years cause I had to go through rehab and, and this whole, um, long process of being medically retired back to getting a waiver to stay on active duty to get myself rehabbed up enough to where I can, you know, get back with my unit, prove myself there and then get back, um, to Afghanistan. And so after stepping on an IED, I went back to Afghanistan, uh, six more deployments as a green beret and, um, and back into combat operations, um, including 2016, um, I got the silver star for, you know, combat, uh, what we did in Bogland province and whatnot like that. So it was back in the, back in the thick of things. And, and it was, uh, it, it definitely, definitely was a good, um, it was a good, I guess, comeback not, yeah, maybe a comeback story, but it's more like, it's, it's more or less when, you know, when I thought my entire world had just crumbled around me because I had given everything to uh, making it through, um, special forces training, becoming a green beret, and then all of a sudden one wrong step and, uh, my life is completely turned upside down to getting told I'm getting, um, medically retired out of the military to now all of a sudden, Oh, wait, I can stay on this waiver, but I'll never, I'll never see behind a desk or I'll never be out from behind a desk again, you know, just stuff like that. And so it's this, just this constant mental um, battle I went through and these, uh, these, these extreme ups and downs and a lot of self-induced, you know, pity parties and whatnot like that. And that's, and that's what the book's about. The book isn't a war story or this, or this, um, chest pounding, uh, look at what I've done. You know, I'm so great. And all this other stuff, it's not anything about that. It's, it's the exact opposite. 
it's, it's, it's talking about the struggles and, and, and the dangers of this entitled victimized, victimized mindset that a lot of people have that I, I, you know, I took on that when I was, when I was in the hospital feeling sorry for myself, like, why did this happen to me? Poor me, all you guys owe me, blah, blah, blah. And, and just this victimized mindset where I started to become my injury, you know? And so that's what I write about because I see, I see this problem in America really taking root where everybody thinks they're owed something because of what they perceive as this horrible life or this harsh situation that happened to them. And everybody wants to be the victim. Everybody wants pity and people to feel sorry for them. And, and you have to know my story because I did this, this, and this when um, reality is, is no one gives a shit. Number one, number two, nobody owes you anything. And number three, life is extremely hard. And that's your problem is you don't think life is hard. So you're getting crushed every time you, every time you do something because you think it's supposed to be easy and it's not. And so that's why I wrote the book, but it's not a finger pointing book. It's a, Hey, I went through this. So the fingers are pointing at me, but this is how I daily try to, um, to basically refocus myself or, you know, to, to understand that I'm only a part of something. I am not the whole thing or whatnot like that, but yeah. So it's not a war story. If people are looking for a war story, it's, <laughs> it's not a hero, you know, chest pounding. No, it's, it's, it's basically, Hey, this is where I messed up and this is how I pulled myself out of it. And this is how I daily try to check myself because just because, just because you overcome one horrible situation in your life, guess what? Life's going to hit you with another one. And if you're not ready for it, then you're going to get hit and hit and hit because it's life. And that's just the way it goes. Yeah. I think it's a really important story that you're sharing too. Um, I've worked as a military veteran advocate for 14 years. And over the years, I have met some who unfortunately are stuck um, thinking that they are their wounds. You know, they, um, they're really having a hard time getting over some of the things the things that they witnessed and the things that they went through. And I think it's important for those like you who've been able to go through those things to be able to be a great testimony to these people. It's easy for me, a civilian who's lived a pretty cush life compared to you to say, oh, you should do this or that. But my words, and I can't even say that to military veterans. I don't know what the heck I would do if I was in your situation, but they need good role models like you. So I appreciate that. And I know that so many appreciate you. I actually wrote in my private group last night that I was going to be interviewing you and several commented that, um, you know, he's a great guy. I've, I've gotten messages overnight. Um, I woke up this morning to people who really respect you and they're military veterans who really respect you. Um, so what would you say the hardest trial that you've had throughout your life? What would that be? So I, a lot of people would think that, you know, stepping on an IED and, um, and, and just kind of laying there pretty sure you're going to die would be the hardest trial of my life, but it, it, it wasn't. Um, that's actually where I got my life back because I was heading down a pretty dangerous path of just, uh, of just arrogance and just stupidity as a, as, as a child, you know, um, thinking that I'm so much more than I really am because of maybe some stupid status that you think you carry because you went through some hard training. No one cares. Um, and so I was, he I was heading down this dangerous path that I, I, I do believe that, you know, God threw an obstacle in my way to say like, Hey stud. 
um, yeah, I'm not, this is going to suck pretty bad, but you need this because you're, 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 you're heading down a path of no return. So mm-hmm. stepping on the IED actually kind of saved my life. The hardest trial I think I ever went through in my life was recovering. And like I said, um, just the physical part of recovering wasn't as bad as the mental part of recovering. Um, I had my leg reattached and, you know, a bunch of other stuff that involved, you know, 28 surgeries on one leg and all this other stuff. Great. Who cares? It's the mental aspect of it where I started to fall into that, that victimized entitled mindset. And I would get mad at people because you don't know what I've been through. You don't know what I've done, blah, blah, blah. And in the end, it revolves around, you know, I mean, it revolves around getting over yourself. It revolves around understanding that you are not the end all be all. And and although people, they'll thank you for your service and stuff like that. I have a rule and it's called the three F's. And if you're not feeding someone, financing them or fucking them, then guess what? You're, they're going to say, thank you for my, for your service. I really appreciate it. And they probably do from the bottom of their heart, but they got bills to pay. They got food to put on the table and they got their own lives to worry about. So who are you or who was I to try and force my pity party on the other people around me? Because I felt like I was owed something for what I presumably did in Afghanistan. You're not owed anything. And so Mm -hmm. that's, so that's the, that, and that's the book right there. And yeah, it's, but the three F's are very important and people need to understand that. Like you're, they will, people will go out of their way to try and thank you. But if you are not a life sustaining, you know, something for them, I'm sorry, man, how, who are you to push that onto anybody else? You think you're so good that people need to recognize you get over yourself. And that's, hmm. that's the big, that's the big thing. So so, um, when, okay. So where did you learn this mindset? I mean, is it something that you just had to learn while you were recovering or, I mean, was there anybody pivotal in your life that kind of taught you some of these things or, I mean, did the, some of the military training come in handy there? How, I mean, most people so growing up, I mean, growing up the way I did, it was, it, it was pretty rough, you know? Um, but that, again, those are excuses because everybody, lots of people have had a rough upbringing. But so when I was kind of, well, not kind of, when I was falling into that mindset, that disastrous, dangerous mindset that I was in when I was recovering, my dad was the one that basically he helped me because I already knew the, I already knew the path. Like life was not easy. Um, but I started to get off course because it was so easy to feel sorry for myself. It was harder to take responsibility or to understand that like, Hey, you're not special, dude. As much as you really want to believe you are, you're not, you're just a human being. And so getting over myself, um, that was really hard because it was so easy to fall into that victimized entitled role. And, um, and so, yeah, my dad, you know, just the, just the talks that we, you know, just the talks that we had and, um, you know, like a discussion we had was, um, you know, what, what happened to you was bad, but, you know, let's face it, it's, it's not the worst injury that's ever come out of combat and it won't be the worst injury that's ever come out of combat. He said, but no one can deny what happened to you was bad. What you don't understand right now is you, you know, you, you got the golden ticket, you got, you have, um, something 
that men will chase the rest of their lives. And that's the, that's the, that's the restart button or the redo button or whatever it is you want to call it. And he said, you know, when you were laying there on the ground, you know, next to the river, after you hit that IED, a lot was going through your head because you thought you were going to die. You've told me that numerous times. Um, team couldn't get to you because there was so many IEDs in the area, you know, filling all the blanks. Great. Um, but as you were laying there, there was, you were looking back on your life and you were, you were not happy with how you lived your life. If you died right now, you were looking back and you were kind of ashamed of yourself, weren't you? And like, yeah, I was. And he goes, yeah, it's crazy. You didn't die and you got this restart button. So all those things that you're sitting there and you were laying there wishing you would have done this and wishing you wouldn't have done that and, and wishing you were more like this or this. He's like, you can do it now. He said, you got the golden ticket. You got what people have chased for years and years and years, that chance to start over again. And he said, so it, you know, to me, it looks like, you know, you're kind of at a crossroads and you can choose the path of victimized. You can become a victim of this injury. No one's going to blame you. And you can, and you can let this injury take you over and let this injury become who you are. And slowly but surely you will drive everybody away from you and you will be a lonely man until you can't take it anymore. And let's face it, you probably won't make it through uh, without killing yourself. And he said, or you can use this opportunity and this, and this golden ticket that you got, you can use this to make yourself stronger, to make yourself a better man, renew your relationship with God, do those things that you were wishing you wouldn't have died having, you know, not done or haven't done or whatnot. He said, you can do all that. And you can use this injury as a platform to help other people that are, that are going through this, this, this horrible dark time that you are. Cause no one's going to, no one's going to doubt, or I'm sorry, no one's going to blame you for whatever path you take, but you have a second chance at life and you can share this story with people. So why not you quit feeling sorry for yourself? Understand that bad shit happens. It's just the way it is. And it's going to continue happening to people. And oh, by the way, this isn't, you're not done. You're not out of the woods with bad stuff happening to you. It's life. You're going to get hit again. But why don't you use this story and this message you have to help other people? Because it, you're pretty selfish if you don't. And I was like, wow, that's okay. So that was, um, that, that was kind of some of the, some of the few talks that are not few, but some of the mini talks that we had, you know, when I was going through this, this victimization minefield, I guess, as you want to, you know, and yeah. And so then the world happened the way it did. And I started to see what he was talking about with our youth and, oh, it's not fair. So I'm going to burn down Portland, Oregon or something like that. And I started to see this and I was like, well, maybe I can, maybe I can be a part even, even though it's Ryan Hendrickson, I'm very, very, very tiny minuscule part, but if it get if it reaches one person, then I, then it's a part of something. And so I, that's why, you know, eventually what kind of got me on path keeps me on path because again, it's life and it's very easy to sit back and it's like, Nope, I'm just going to feel sorry for myself today. Cause that's easier and you're allowed to, but you also need to get back on course and understand that you're being an asshole and let's start to, and you're entitled to it 100%, but don't force that on other people. And uh, there's no need for it. And yeah. 
So what are you doing now? Because it seems like, I mean, obviously your book is incredible. Are you doing some public speaking? So I, I got a little bit, I did two, I guess, public speaking events and they were for uh, law enforcement with, um, with basically mental health. And I am a huge um, advocate of law enforcement. I'm also a bigger advocate of mental health for our first responders in law enforcement, the military, we have a lot of backing, um, regardless of what side of the aisle you're on. Not a lot of people in our government are going to say, screw the military, but there's a lot of people in our government that are saying, screw law enforcement and stuff like that. And I absolutely disagree with that. And I, I definitely believe that they need to have the same kind of mental health, um, tools that we do in the military. And if I can change one person's mind about how they perceive law enforcement, then again, I'm only a tiny part of everything, but I did, I did what I wanted to do. It's not my job, but I did what I felt like I needed to do because I believe that this, well, I mean, it's pretty much a war on law enforcement we have going on in this country right now is, is, is absolutely disgusting, disgraceful, but even worse is setting us up for a future that, um, involves a lot of lawless and anarchy if we don't get control over this and start to um, respect our law enforcement like we used to. Mm-hmm. So, absolutely, I agree with that 100%. Um, I know my listeners would too. You had mentioned um, youth and how you know some of them they're saying screw it, burning down places. Um, are you able to help them at all? Or, I mean, how? how do you think that people can reach out to our youth a little bit better? Do you have any suggestions on that? I'm just kind of curious because you kind of hit on that a little bit. Yeah. I mean, 100, 100%, uh, and I, I hope this offends some people, but, um, first line of defense is your, is your, is your parents. And our parents are failing our youth left and right today. Why? Because we also have a bunch of entitled spoiled brat parents out there that feel like they want to be friends with their kids and not their parents because they don't know how to be parents because their parents were friends with them too. Everyone's, everyone's scared to cross that line or to be the disciplinary or whatnot like that. So that's number one is it, 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 is it starts at the house, but yeah, um, more role models that are actually speaking to these kids Um, is a green beret, a role model for kids. No, not really, but some of our athletes need to come out and they need to quit with this bullshit agendas that they're on and start to understand that they can directly affect our youth. These NFL, NBA, Major League um, Baseball, hockey's pretty good at it. So I'm not going to put hockey in the mix. But, you know, a lot of these these athletes that have this huge, huge following from our youth, they need they, they need to start stepping up to the plate and understanding that, yeah, you're an athlete and OK, you play a game, but you're also a role model. So start being that role model or leave the league. Because, yeah, kids are looking up to you. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I do believe it comes from a lot of these childhood heroes and whatnot. But it starts with your it starts with your families. It starts with your parents. It starts with that, you know, with 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 being the parent. You're not a friend. You're you know, you're you're their parent. And then it also comes with what you allow, what, you know, what we're allowing our youth to, uh, to take in. Unfortunately, we are a culture of, of sex violence and everything else. And so that's what these guys are and guys or girls are taking in at such an early age. And we have lost 
I mean, there is no God, there is no more God in our schools there. We've lost that, that foundation on in God, we trust. I'm, I'm so surprised it's still on our money anymore, but we don't teach it because it's offensive to people. Why? Because people want a reason to feel sorry for themselves. Why? Because we are a culture of, of drama, desperate housewives, freaking the bachelor, all this other crap, which is great TV, whatever. I don't care, but we're a culture of drama. And so now all of a sudden you have, you know, these entitled little brats running around because they like the drama because their parents also feed off the drama. And there's no one to actually make you understand like, Hey, guess what? When you're out of the nest, <laughs> you're about, you're about ready to figure out what the rural world is because there are people out there, majority that give zero shits about you. And you're going to find out the hard way because you think you're owed something. Well, you're about ready to be taken for a lot. Mm-hmm. And that's on the parents. And it is. You know, when I was growing up, I think a lot of kids did look up to Green Berets and they looked up to our military. They looked up to, um, you know, we had good role models when we were growing up. I think we're about this in the same age group. And um, I think that we need to get back to that too. I mean, when, when I was raising my kids, they were, they looked up to military, especially my son. Oh my gosh. He looked up to military big time. And even my daughters, they had that respect, you know, and I think that kids have lost the respect. Um, I would love to see you go into schools and talk to them about some of your experiences or, um, try to, we need to get your book out there more too. Where can people find your book? So, yeah, it's, um, right now, Amazon's the easiest. It's usually if people order, um, tip the spear by Ryan Henderson off Amazon, it's usually at your house within two days. But, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, no, I, I I mean, I, I agree with you. We need to get these role models in schools. Um, are, I, and I also agree with you. I think, you know, our role models need to revert back to what they used to be when I was growing up, police officers, firefighters, you know, um, the, the, the people that did sacrifice so much, um, and, and, and put, you know, put their lives on the line for the freedoms that we have. Yeah. People say, thank you, you know, for the freedoms that you have, uh, you're in the military, you served and all that other stuff. Great. And I appreciate that. But when I come home, I turn, you know, I, I, I do my best to turn it off because I'm in the safety and security of my nation's board. Well, I'm not going to go down the nation's borders, but anyways, I'm in the safety and security of my own home and stuff like that. Why? Because the police officers and the first responders that are on call 365 and they don't have an off deployment, they're on deployment all the time until they retire or move on to something else. And so I do, I I think people need to need to understand it and we need to bring that respect back for law enforcement. I don't know if it's possible, but um, it's gonna, it's gonna take a major overhaul of our, of what our kids are bringing in and this disrespect for our law enforcement. But, but yeah, um, that's what needs to happen. I just don't know. Unfortunately, I hate to say it, but I don't know if it's possible mm-hmm. in the society we live in today. So, yeah. Um, you know, some of you who know me know that we're working on a company now called American Inc. And, um, some of our goals are to get stories out of those like you, um, true stories without the media coming in and twisting it like normal, typical media. I was telling you before the show, Ryan, that I had caught just a little clip of what you had said, um, about a subject online. And I asked you about it and you were like, well, I didn't actually say it that way. So the media Mm -hmm. must have like changed it in the, the journalism piece when I was reading it. Uh And 
so, you know, I think that we need to really, like you said, we need to educate our kids. We need to, um, step forward. We, I believe that we can make a difference and we are making differences and you're making a difference. And so every single life that you come in contact with, you can make a difference. Um, what I'd like to do is I want to buy three of your books. I'll talk to you after the show about how to do it. I'm going to give three of them away to some of my listeners. And, um, I just want to support you the best that I can. Um, tell our listeners where they can find you on social media. So social media is kind of, I'm, I'm just starting to figure it out because I'm a, I'm a creature of habit and I really do not like social media at all. But I also understand that you will not reach anybody unless you can figure this thing out. So, but I'm at, um, I'm on Instagram at tip the spear RMH. Um, let's see Facebook. I, yeah, I don't know what it is. I think it's just Ryan Hendrickson, maybe. I don't know. I'm that that guy with a Seahawks flag and um in Afghanistan taking a picture. Um yeah, so and then Twitter, I I, I don't know what I am on there. It's tip of the spear something, something. I have no idea. Uh but Instagram is the one that I've been really kind of getting into and and trying to learn and uh posting videos and stuff like that. So that's that's pretty much the easiest. Um, place to get a hold of me at. And then the other ones, I, I don't know if you Google Ryan Hendrickson, something will come up probably. Do you, ha- do you have a website? I do. Ryan M Hendrickson.com. Okay. Excellent. What I'm going to do too, is we'll make sure that your links are on the screen for those watching. Those of you listening, you can go to the show notes and you can find Ryan's links there. I'll go ahead and put them in after, but, um, thank you Ryan for being on the show. Is there anything that you would like to add before we wrap it up today? Yeah, basically, I think uh, the the message that I would like to send and that I think people need to kind of remember and understand is a lot of times we get stuck on the situation at hand and, and what's happening to us right in front, right then and there. And we, we, we don't have the either knowledge or the ability to look through that situation and understand. So like in special forces, we call it, you know, the second and third order of effects of that shot. So if I pull the trigger here, what's the second and third order effects of what that bullet's going to do? Well, it's the same thing in life. If you're looking at a situation and you are so focused on what is happening right there, then you're probably not going to be able to overcome that situation. You have to be able to look through it, look at the second and the third order of effects, because regardless of how bad it seems, at that time, time, time keeps moving on. And eventually you are going to get over whatever it is you have encountered at, at that point in time in your life, whether you get over it in the right way or the wrong way, your time's going to keep moving on. You don't have a choice in that, but what is going to happen is you're going to get to a certain age where you're going to look back. Like my dad told me, you're going to get to an age in life where you're going to look back and you're going to have two choices. You're either going to be proud of how you handled that situation. You're going to have learned from it. You're going to be a better person with how you handled that situation at that point in time, or you're going to be ashamed of yourself and you're going to hate how you handled it. And that's a death sentence right there. So understand that time's going to keep moving on, regardless of how bad it may seem at that point in time, it keeps moving on. There is going to be a point in time when you will look back. And it's how you handle that situation at that time 
is going to determine how you think and feel about yourself later on. And so that's the big thing I try and tell people is time moves on. You just got to got to understand that you're going to have a chance to look back. Don't allow yourself to look back and be ashamed of yourself. That's a really good way to end the show, actually, because I think that there's going to be a lot of people reflecting and it's an important thing to think about. Our actions always create more reactions, right? (laughs) In our life too. So, all right, Ryan, thank you very much for being on the show. Thank you everybody for listening. And until next time, um, we're going to wrap it up now. Take care, everybody. All right. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Please head over to pattycatter.com for the latest updates on Patty, her talk show, and what she's up to. You can also find her on Amazon TV and Roku, and on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Patty Catter. Until next time.